welcome to the read optional podcast first time doing this back in years and years and years and i could not be happier to have on the line with me as i called him before when we were just talking pre-show the rock star of line play brandon thorne is here brandon how are you i'm doing great ollie uh thanks for the the introduction i think that's a little too kind but i i appreciate it you've you and i have go way back you know that I love you, but it really does come down to you and Jeff Schwartz. So it's not really, you know, it's this isn't the right. the, the, the packed field of <laughs> line analysts out there. Um, right, right. People, everyone who's listening, I'm sure will know Brandon because they are football nerd fans. Um, but he does the Trench Warfare newsletter. You do Bleach Report still. You establish the mm-hmm. run doing all kinds of stuff. You're, when we were first speaking, I have to say this, you were, I, we would get together once a year. We'd do two or three pods a year we'd get together once a year and i decided i'm like we're gonna we're gonna go over the whole uh, landscape of offensive line play and i'll call it the offensive line state of the union and every year we'll have a check-in how is development going let's do it people love it and at that time you were doing all the online stuff i think inside the pylon and you were writing pieces and i think you were doing some bleach report stuff there and now you're like a committee member for the Joe Moore Award and you help the O-line masterminds re- retreat where the finest linemen in the world get together for like a week. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, man, it's crazy how much stuff has happened since then. But, uh, you know, I really have to give a lot of pretty much all the credit, you know, to the people who have kind of let me into the world, you know, I mean, over the years of just steadily putting content out and trying to learn about the position, people have recognized it and been really, you know, gracious, honestly, like Duke Manny weather, I think is the number one guy um, just kind of inviting me into the offensive line masterminds um, summit uh, and just making me a part of the inaugural one, you know, f- several years ago now, and just playing a, a part in it, you know, putting together all the film for the players to study. And then uh, I've, I've been there, I've done that every year. I've, I didn't get to go last year, but I went this year, um, but I've done all the work every year. And that's been incredible, man, just to actually be there in person around the players, talking to the players, you know, show face and just network and all that. And then uh, that kind of has led to the Joe Moore thing too. Um, that started, you know, Aaron Taylor runs it. And uh, I've known Aaron since since uh, inside the pylon days. Um, I did a little bit of work for Joe Moore Award then, just like doing advanced scouting stuff. Um, and we just stayed in touch. I saw him over the years in different games that I went to uh, when I was scouting for the Senior Bowl. And um, yeah, man, I mean, that just kind of led to this. So I'm very thankful and it's just great, man, because I feel like I'm able to shine a, more of a light on offensive line and, and defensive line too, but just trenches in general. And it's, it's been really cool to see where, it, where it's become. The masterminds thing, the first year or even every year, I guess, is it just like this explosion of knowledge where you're watching stuff for years and years and years, studying everything possible. You get the playbooks, you get the uh, whatever leaks onto YouTube from, from coaching summits. <laughs> and then you get to be with these guys and explain stuff or just see them. And it must just be this like light switch on moment of all the nuances that you're watching and then their, their confirmation in person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. Um, confirmations and it definitely challenges a lot of what you think it, you know, I, just the human element really comes into it because you hear guys, you know, express their personal, you know, mindsets on, 
different plays, um, their approaches to the game, the week leading up to the game, how important their mindset is in, in everything in performance. And I guess that's true in every line of work, but um, I guess we kind of lose sight of that. Sometimes it's it, sometimes it comes down to how confident a guy is the environment around him, you know, the, the players next to him, the players opposite him and just his, how he's thinking about what he's doing. And uh, so we approach it from that perspective too. We have mental health performance coaches and stuff come in and um, man, it's just been just incredible. And then of course the technique, you know, we really drill into all that stuff. And I think that's where I can offer the most value is um, just all the advanced work that I've done on pass rushers over the years and identify trends and tendencies in their game that I think have played some, some kind of role in helping these you know, offensive linemen, uh, you know, prepare during the week. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's just, uh, it's an incredible event and, oh man, I mean, I'm it, one of the funniest things about it is, um, you know, I'm a fairly big person, you know, normally, uh, you know, I'm six foot three, you know, like 220 pounds and I go there and I'm like the tiniest guy there. <laughs> And it's just six, uh, seven, three, four, three. Yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, being around Makai Becton and stuff. And <laughs> oh, man. Oh, he's the most extreme example. But I mean, every guy there is just huge. I mean, like DJ Flukers, maybe the biggest human I've ever seen in my life. He's been there. Um, I mean, yeah. So, and it's cool to see how much it's grown. I mean, the first year we had like 25, 27 people, 27 linemen. And then this past year, we had over 100 people there. So, wow. It's just, and it's now growing. you have, it's become pop cultural in a sense where, um, you know, a, a blogger or a fan, if their guy is there and wasn't there, it's like, okay, he might be good this year now because he's going right, to go there right. and get all the pointers and he's going to change his stance yeah. and he's going to come back and, and it's going to be good. And um, before we get to uh, this year's State of the Union, as I call it, um, I wanted to ask you quickly about this true sack rate you're working on for uh, the newsletter, the Trench Warfare newsletter. This is a, a ginormous project that you must be sat there at three in the morning watching film with, with a young child being like, why did, why did I opt to do this publicly? <laughs> um, so what is the true sack rate? Uh, what is this project you're working on? Yeah, so I, I did it last year for the first time, and it's built upon an idea that John Ledyard actually um, initially started in 2016. He called it something different, and he used different criteria. But the idea, you know, me and him discussed it at the time, and he actually, um, you know, ran with it and did it for I think a year or two. But I, I thought I thought it was so valuable um, and so insightful because it. It involves basically charting every sack uh, among defensive linemen. Um, it originally started just with edge rushers, but last year I took it to interior defensive line as well. And then this year I'm going to be doing both again. Um, and rather than just looking at sacks as a way to judge uh, pass rushing effectiveness, I think if we can contextualize those more and identify and, and engrave them essentially by giving them tags of either high quality, low quality, clean up or coverage. Um, over the course of a season, I think it can add value into the evaluation puzzle and just give us another tool to evaluate pass rushers. Um, and I don't want to say render sacks useless, but definitely offer, you know, a different spin on sacks. Um, and I think it adds a lot of value because there's, there's plenty of times when, when guys get unblocked sacks and they can rack up six, seven, eight, nine of them in a year and finish with 12. And we, you know, and teams even may think, oh man, this guy's, you know, the next great pass rusher. And the next year he has seven or eight. 
and he just kind of levels off or declines. And um, I think that this tool can identify that, but then also identify guys who might be overlooked. Um, and based on the first year results and how the first quarter of this season has played out, there's definitely some interesting trends that have been identified, I think both positively and negatively in players. And I'm just excited to get another year's worth of data and see where it goes and see how much value I can add by tinkering with it over the years. And um, hopefully I could do it for a long time, but it's, it's definitely tedious, but it is uh, hopefully people enjoy it and can get something out of it. Made all the more tedious, I imagine, by Game Pass forever changing their interface from being manageable yes. six years ago to being uh, god-awful. Uh, yeah. This season. yeah. Um, it's interesting. What I love about that is more and more because we, people can go independent now, you can run a newsletter. It's so difficult to replicate what teams do outside. I don't think people, I'm sure they do understand, but just the sheer difference between what you can do within a team to outside a team because of things like deadlines and readers. You know, I love my readers, but you have to deliver them things. Because they're readers, right. have editors, they, they need stuff on deadline. And teams now, they just get this dumping of a glossary on the plane back home from what is basically their own model, or they might use the, the NFL's own data of next-gen stats. So all that old-school stuff where Bill Belichick would be up till 7 in the morning with his team, recharting the game, you know, as soon as they got the game film, they've leapt that step almost immediately. And so they get all that data that tells them this is exactly what happened. This is how, this is how condensed this team was. You don't have to guess anymore or chart it. This is how condensed they were. And now they go through and it's about the quality of those things. So it's the same thing. We, you know, uh, this guy is getting sacks in, in 2.7 seconds, but it's, you know, seven of them are unblocked. But they can go through individually and grade them then through their own mindset, whatever their philosophy is, how, how does the concept match up to what they run. Uh, so it offers something that is similar to, to what a team would be doing essentially, but you're trying to do it for the entire league. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fascinating just where we've gotten um, in the media space. And just like you said, the newsletter aspect of it, I think has just been such a, such a blessing really. I mean, to be able to, to kind of create content that I want to create that I think people will, will appreciate. And then to, be able to really focus in on that and, um, you know, sustain ourselves, sustain my family, help, you know, sustain my family by doing it. I mean, that's the dream, you know, and it's given people an opportunity to create valuable content to do that. So that, that aspect of it, I think is really cool. And then, um, you know, trying to tap into the way that the NFL does things and learning about how they, you know, do projects and evaluations and things like that is, definitely a part of my process. I try to pick the brains of coaches and players all the time. Um, unfortunately have, have a window into that world a little bit, but man, I'm always trying to increase it so I can see what's going on and try to, you know, adapt some of their strategies. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a fun process. Let's get into some of this uh, big picture O-line stuff then. Um, and just this line play in general, it's not all O-line, I guess. Um, I was thinking about this as I was thinking, what do I want to ask you about? And I was like, man, when we first did this, which now must be five or six years ago, I remember as a pair of O-line evangelists 
sitting there and being like terrified. This was the big thing, right? GMs across the league, scouting directors, anyone you spoke to, it was like, they can't block anymore. No one knows how to set up. No one's running anything in college that we can replicate anymore. It takes them four or five years when they get here to learn what we do. And then they leave. And it's like, it was this whole nightmarish thing. Even the Jokel Fisher draft, we have we have linemen go one and two. And everyone understands the value of linemen and pass protecting now. And still there was this giant fear about technique issues, about the transition from what college was running to the NFL. Then what we had was, well, we're going to start taking collegiate concepts. And so that that transition should be somewhat easier. And then there was a premium on linemen. So guys invested more in the college level, paying their line coach more, grabbing guys from the NFL, stopping guys from going to the NFL, the better guys, um, developing mm-hmm. them more, I'd say. And yet still you hear all the time that like line plays down, line plays not good enough. And I was getting ready to do this. I'm like, line play is so good in the league right now. The quality of guys we have in an era where everyone is isolating everyone, right? It's all, it's all, so much of it is 5v5 now. Everyone's crossing the face. We've got all these creeper pressures. You've got all these defenses now who 4 3 3 4 is meaningless. They will go from R nod to an even front on a down to down basis, and they do not change their terminology. They figure that out. It's like running the spread, right? It's like we have one call and it means the same thing, but it's going to look a bit different to you guys, but we're keeping all the same bodies on the field. Everyone's hybrid now. It's so difficult to block these guys. And yeah, I, I really do think we're in the boom era of line play. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely better than it was when we talked first. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. I think there's so many different layers to unpack um, to identify why that is. I think a, a big part of it is just how well offensive coordinators have adapted what they're doing to align with what colleges are doing, um, which you touched on, but I think that's critical because it's just, it's kind of shrunk the gap that, uh, that, that um, adaptation period, you know, from college to the pro game has, has definitely shrunk, I think, because of what the players are being asked to do up front. So that's a big part of it. Um, You know, of course there's different varying levels of talent that come from different drafts and, um, you know, we've had a couple good drafts now in a row, um, especially specifically at offensive tackle, which I think is critical because that's obviously the, the hardest position on the line to play just because of the amount of space you're dealing with. And there's just not a lot of those sized humans that can move that efficiently and, you know, all that kind of stuff in space. So to, to get a nice little influx of tackle talent the last couple of years has definitely helped. Um, you know, at the same time, there's yeah, I, I mean, while it's better, there's still, uh, you know, definitely some some bottom 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 feeder units that are kind of consistent. That you know is a problem. There's still a lot of misevaluations going on. There's still guys, uh, or I would say, really franchises that don't put enough attention to it. And then if they do, they just get it wrong. You know, there's still obviously room to grow and all, all that kind of stuff and get it even better. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's great to see just generally better line play, uh, than we saw five years ago and, um, just kind of, uh, more innovation happening and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting topic that I think, uh, can go a lot of different directions. But one thing that's really interesting about that is all these news, the, like that, that McVeigh system, no one is running that in college. 
not a single person. Yeah, half the league is running it in the NFL. Lane Kiffin has stole some of it, as in getting condensed, but not with the the sheer volume of motion and then being like a lead stretch team from the center. Like outside of you go and try and find Wyoming or someone, just no one is running that kind of stuff. And yet these guys are stepping straight into the league. That's what it's like. I get investing in resources. And if you take a guy in the first round, you're going to give him the five years, at least the four years to have a chance here to develop. And so you should probably over that time develop into a useful piece. And then hopefully you become a good or great piece. But Slater this year, I mean, you can just go on down the line. Like guys are stepping right into the league, often playing in different stances, playing in a completely different environment, asked to do different things. I mean, the, the college game is not, I know that everyone's playing with a tight front now, which makes things unusual for, for the outside tackle. But it is not as spread across the board up front as the NFL is at the moment. The NFL is so much yes. five across fronts. It is, I mean, what's the, 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 the defensive word at the moment is the mug look, right? Everyone is walking linebackers now. Everyone has learned the word creeper. And it's bringing guys from different angles with everyone stood up. And it's so spread up front and they layer their defense after the snap, right? Whereas in college, you basically layer it pre-snap because you don't really want to rotate a lot because most of you guys, if you're at okay school, aren't that great, right? So you just want to make it as, as easy as possible for them. At the NFL, you can get all kinds of funky post-snaps. So then you can keep it looking static pre-snap. I, I just marvel at how complex defenses have got to rival the McVay stuff. And somehow we're still blocking these guys. Yeah. So man, a lot of different things there. I think one thing, just kind of a, a sidebar that is a part of this conversation is the training and preparation for offensive linemen leading up to the draft. And then while their pros has dramatically increased. Um, and I think that's led by Duke Mannyweather who literally trained almost the entire draft the last couple of years. Um, you know, a good, a good chunk of it for sure. Um, including many first, second, third rounders. So that, you know, has certainly helped. Um, and I think that's a critical piece of the puzzle. Also, I think the pass game has just, you know, it's, it's advanced. It's, and I don't know the average time to throw, you know, say five years ago to today, I would be interested in that number, but I would assume that it's gotten a little bit quicker mm -hmm. and it just seems like passing games are, just getting better you know they're more they're, they're adapting and they're building around the quarterback more and more and more trying to make it easier and easier and easier with you know a, a multitude of different designs and ways of doing it but I think the pass game is really what has adapted to help quarterbacks and then therefore help offensive lines more than anything the run game while different in the pro game compared to college I think we have such great run game designers in the NFL that even if guys in college didn't do it, they were able to be put in such advantageous, advantageous positions as pros that they can adapt to it rather quickly. The pass game, I mean, that's the thing why I, I don't necessarily know that offensive linemen have improved drastically as pass protectors. I think what they're being asked to do is a little bit more friendly and conducive to success, whether that be play action which is definitely conducive to success in the pass game uh, for offensive linemen. Um, motion can be a, a part of that, although that's more run game based. Um, uh, designing help for players. I've seen that much more the last couple of years. When you have a rookie uh, tackle, now they're not maybe let uh, out to dry as much as they were just several years ago. So they're doing a lot to have to help the pass game uh, succeed, um, on and off the field, you know, rules, all that kind of stuff. 
So that I think has helped offensive linemen's job become a little bit easier, although you know, obviously difficult and obvious drop back situations on obvious pass downs. It's still very difficult, but on all the other downs, it's easier. And um, yeah, so I think that's an interesting kind of way to look at it too. Yeah. I, it almost feels like, and you're way more, way more in the world than I am, but it feels like Lyman got together as a collective and said like, our position is under assault here. Like we got to start sharing some information, you know, let's all get together in the off season, maybe share. That was tips. the impetus for mm-hmm. masterminds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because that they felt like we're all under siege here. We maybe we have to help each other. Right. Yep. Yeah, that was exactly it. Just sharing information, having a, a place where you can come and learn trade secrets, if you will. And, you know, and, and just a lot of basics. And I think that's one of the best parts about masterminds is and what Duke does with his training is he's he's really focused on mastering the basics, you know, your stance. That's the most foundational part of offensive line play. It's very overlooked. Um, But if you have a imbalanced stance where your weight distribution is off, you don't have the right pressure points, um, you know, that can set the tone for the whole rep. Uh, if, If you're not efficient in that way and you don't start the rep efficiently, then everything else doesn't matter. Your 35 inch arms don't matter. Your 40 yard dash doesn't matter. Um, you know, nothing else, how powerful and strong you are. None of that matters. So he's really got it back to the basics and he has a very good understanding of the body of, you know, kinesiology and mechanics and all that kind of stuff. And just getting guys comfortable and then getting them flexible and strong on a foundational level. And I think that's just bleeding into now offensive line play across the league. And he's not the only guy doing it, of course, but I think he really is at the forefront. Um, so that's that's a huge part of it, man. But Masterminds really got created with him and Lane Johnson getting on the phone and saying, hey, like Von Miller, Khalil Mack, all these guys, like we need a better plan and something streamlined that we can create so – we can combat it in a more efficient way, really. And that's that's what offensive line masterminds is. Uh, let's bounce around some teams around the league. Um, this Chiefs group, this is the most fascinating overall offensive line thing in the league to me because they put an entire new group together and they basically went to Andy Heck and said, we're going to bring in, they bring in five or six new pieces if you if you count the, the COVID opt-out coming back as, as being his first year. And it was like, you figure it out and by the way, you have to protect the most important player in the entire sport. <laughs> Try and get this thing to coalesce by the playoffs, which that was my thing all offseason, right? Like that's going to take a long time. You got to learn the nuances. They have to understand each other as a play caller and a quarterback. You have to understand, well, maybe on a three-step drop, this guy to my right, he loses quickly. But then if it's a more advanced rep and it goes on and on and on, the left side can, can cave a little bit and we can kind of build around that. And it takes time to build that chemistry between the five guys and then the quarterback and the five guys. And yet, in week one, I thought they were pretty excellent. They have been pretty outstanding, I feel like, all the way through the season. What I thought would take maybe 10 weeks to really kick in, that that's not been the Chiefs' problem at all. I think that line is really good. Yeah, I mean, it it is very impressive, although not as surprising to me. Um, just, and I don't mean to, you know, brag or anything like that. I just, you know, I, I looked at kind of the situation over the years, right? And I think it starts with Andy Reid. And also Andy Heck, that pair is a dynamic pair for offensive success in general, but specifically offensive line because of Andy Reid's background and Andy Heck, his 
track record of success of extracting the best out of his players up front. So when you have that environment, I think that that's very conducive to success. And then when you add legit talent into that, I mean, last year was the first year I evaluated an entire draft class of offensive linemen for Bleacher Report. So I was very familiar with Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. And I I really liked both players. I loved Creed. I thought he was going to be a stud right away. And then he went to the ultimate place or one of, you know, the Chiefs are, I think, on the Mount Rushmore of best offensive line environments in the NFL. So when you add that influx of talent into that situation, I think it was expected that they were going to be a top 10 unit. Now, I still think that they really have gelled maybe a little bit quicker than anyone could have thought, you know, with all that said. But still, I mean, I just think the way that they designed that offense, it's so timing based and rhythmic. They're probably the best screen team in the league. They run a ton of RPOs and play action, obviously. All that stuff helps the offensive line. They, they, um, one of the things that they do is run a lot of uh, squeeze formations, as Mitchell Schwartz has told me, that um, basically condense things and make defensive ends very uncomfortable. Um, all their uses of motion are very deliberate. Um, they just do so many things to make offensive line offensive linemen comfortable so I think that's a huge part of their success and then they have legitimately like real talent up front they have the highest paid guard in the NFL history and Joe Tooney Creed's a stud Trey Trey Smith was the wild card really and you know I gave him a third round grade because his tape last year was inconsistent the health stuff is what it is but man he changed his stance in the offseason with Duke Manyweather, lost some weight, refined his body, and now he's being taught sound technique in a brilliant offensive system, and his talent has just rose to the surface. I mean, he went at Fletcher Cox last week. I did a film room on it. I mean, he he was incredible last week. I think he's legitimately a top 10 right guard in football right now, if not top five, six. Um, he just is so talented that, that that looks like the steal of the draft. Their and tackles he, are still concerning in pass protection, but yeah, that, that would be my only concern. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it's Smith, I mean, if for uh, listeners, he was uh, when he first came to Tennessee, it was like they finally landed a five star recruit. He turns on Alabama, he's going to be a top five pick at left tackle. Um, then the career doesn't quite start that way. Tennessee becomes a, a mess throughout his career. He gets the blood clots and gets all the medical concerns. And that that first game of the season, I'm not sure if you if you've done that first the first Chiefs game of the season or not. That they kind of required viewing every week. I mean, the opening yeah. drive he gets floored twice in almost embarrassing ways. One is within the play. The other one he just doesn't quite know where he is at the end of the play. Someone clips him from the side after the play, and he's on the floor. And it's kind of a real welcome to the NFL moment. And I was like, oh man, I, I all that's happened with him, I, I just don't know if there's going to be that that fight back and is he really going to bring it? And then for the rest of that game, I mean, he was just out of his mind against the Browns. Um, really yeah. just bringing yeah. it, it, both in the run game and then attacking in the pass game. I mean, that, that's the big thing when you talk about the play action now being such a part of the sport, the RPOs is these guys really attacking in the pass game. And that the, the thing of, you know, I think it's yours, right? Of pass protection isn't passive. Um, like these guys get after it now in both phases. Yeah. That's what play action and RPOs allow you to do, right? Be the aggressor, eliminate space. And it plays into offensive line men's hands um, for, for the most part in a more, you know, uh, 
helpful way. Um, not all offensive linemen necessarily are benefited by that aggressive style, but I think a lot of them are, you know, that's just kind of the mindset of offensive line. They want to run block first, you know, they want to go at the, the defensive linemen because if they retreat in their pass set, they're creating space and space is an offensive lineman's worst friend because that allows athletic ability to shine and they don't have as much as their opponent. So naturally, if you, you know, increase your usage of play action and RPOs, it plays into the offensive lineman's hands. And uh, yeah, I think we're seeing the benefit of that uh, for sure. Cause that, that kind of plays into the whole theme of this is the job of offensive linemen has just gotten a little bit easier in some ways. And I think those concepts and ideas have really contributed to that in a, in a really significant way. One thing that is a uh, troubling moving to, New England and the Patriots, and they have all kinds of issues on offense at the moment. I don't think they have any idea what they quite want to be running. Um, I think I, actually, I think they know they want to run the 2011 offense and then decided I don't think we can do it after spending an offseason building towards it. Um, this right tackle situation, rotating Durant and Heron, and just mm. it, what I, I, I just that they have done this before but they did this when they had Skarnecki, right? Which you always just feel like, okay, I guess they'll figure it out. You know, it's way more than anyone ever about this thing so if he wants to say when we pull the left guard i'm putting this guy in even if we give the tendency away you kind of trust him right now i'm a bit like this platooning of tackles is 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 really strange i mean this is it's what people do in college you don't do this in the pros well it's not by choice uh you know trent brown you know obviously was you know a key signing for them i mean I was very excited about this offensive line. You know, I had them, I think, fifth coming into the year. I think right now I, I updated weekly for establishing the run. I have them 10th, which that was assuming Trent Brown was going to be back last week. And then he was a scratch last minute because of the calf. You know, I that's been one of the two or three most disappointing things, storylines regarding offensive line play this season is Trent Brown not being out there because I just think that is so critical to their success as an offensive line unit. Um, You know, when healthy and on the field, Trent Brown is, you know, at times one of the best tackles in the league. He's certainly, you know, a top 10 right tackle um, in, in football when he's out there and pass protection specifically, he's very good. Um, And, you know, he brings a lot to the run game as well. He's just, he's just a really good player. He just can't stay on the field and he hasn't the last couple of years. And it's been so disappointing because for one, I love watching him play. I think he's very underrated. Um, but man, availability is obviously uh, the, the first step in all of it. And it's just not there. And it's, I think it's really crippled their offensive line uh, in, in the run game and the pass game. So having to rotate backups at, at a tackle spot, especially, I mean, that's brutal. Um, you know, I, I like the rest of their players. I think they're playing fairly well, uh, you know, not to their potential necessarily across the board, but I think the rest of the guys are fine. It's just that right tackle spot is such a glaring hole right now. And like you said, not having a guy like Skarnecki to just patch it, patch it uh, along and, and just make it, you know, to where you can win with uh, it's not there. They're having to win in spite of it. And um, yeah, that, that just sucks, man. Cause I, I mean, you know, somebody who wants to watch quality offensive line play. I, I think the Patriots really had a chance at being a, you know, a top five kind of unit. And I still think they might get there if Trent Brown can play. But, you know, at this point, I, I just don't know how you can count on that. 
Yeah, I mean, they should be special, right? That this should be the driving force of the team. They built this thing to be run game and defense, and then Mac on play action. That sets the the whole identity or the the, the purported identity. Um, yeah. And it's just not there. And it's weird because New England fans are talking about Owenu and it's like, he's not as good. And, uh, you know, he's blown up almost by us on the online people. You know, he's not as good when we watch on Sundays as you claim him to be during the week. It's like, I don't know what you're supposed to do, guys, when there's a sinkhole at right tackle, that there really is not much you can do outside of take guys out of the pass progression to bring them back into the backfield. And now everything else is compromised. And so now you're looking at the yeah. back and saying he's not playing very well. Well, we can yep. only do one of two things is put more guys out and get rid of the ball quicker or bring guys in and then not have as many guys out. It's, it's the, that I don't care how good that interior is. If the right is a sinkhole and not just average to OK, you mentioned before the Chiefs, though, you'd say Niang is, is OK. Uh, you can get by with him in pass in the drop back passing game as a tackle. If it is a sinkhole where they don't know which one they want to put out there, but they're just going to throw one out there down to down and hope for the best, I guess. Yeah, I, I think we also have to look at the quarterback play. You know, the Patrick Mahomes, Mac Jones uh, difference for making the tackles look good. Um, you know, I mean, at the same time, Mahomes, especially in the last few years, dropped back too deep and made his tackles look a little worse at times, but. You know, the way that he can extend plays is something that obviously Mac Jones is kind of the polar opposite of. So if a guy like Justin Haran was in Kansas City, I think it, we would be looking at him as a different kind of player, um, although not a, a plus starter or anything. I just think, you know, it, when you have a quarterback who can extend and, and make things happen like Mahomes and even to a lesser degree, I mean, Mac Jones is such on the opposite side of the spectrum that it only just exacerbates you know an issue at tackle um so that's a huge part of it i mean if tom brady was there i think we could be looking at something very different not just because he's tom brady but just a quarterback who can get rid of the ball on time and can throw downfield consistently um it doesn't have to be an elite level but just somebody who can do that you know more consistently i think would really go a long way to mask this issue but when you have a rookie quarterback who, you know, can only win from the pocket, um, that makes it even more difficult to design things around it and to, to overcome, you know, a glaring hole at a tackle spot, you know? So I think that's, you know, a crucial part of it as well. And that leads nicely onto the Cardinals, who I wanted to talk about because, mm-hmm. you know, their, their group is getting a lot of love right now. I was interested before I got into the specifics I had related to Rodney Hudson. It's funny, by the way, Hudson and Trent Brown, uh, two massive pieces, one missing, one there for their two respective teams. The Raiders were happy to just just dump and move those on. It's a <laughs> weird one. Um, yeah. Is Kyla making that group look great? I mean, they they also retooled that group, right? They were they were so massive inside last season. I mean, they're still pretty big this year, I guess. Um, I know this week they they've got injuries right at guard and tackle, so it makes it a bit funky. I think Garcia and Jones might play. Um, they've always wanted to be massive inside. I guess that the other thing that Rodney Hudson does is he dropped the sight line inside. He went from six, five inside to what I think they call him six, two, but he's they're probably being generous. He might be wearing some high top Jordans during <laughs> the measuring. I think he's really six foot. Um, I don't know whether that that's a key change. I mean, he's definitely doing way more of the, of the, of the IDing of protections and stuff, which is just nice as a quarterback to, to have a guy you trust. Who's just amazing at that stuff and figuring it all out for you. Um, what have you seen with the Cardinals line this year? 
I think they've pretty much been uh, the same outside of Hudson. You know, I mean, Hudson is really, you know, I think Nate Tice kind of coined this with him is, you know, he's a force multiplier. And I think a lot of good centers are that, you know, they, they make the guards next to them look better and they make the whole offense and pass protection scheme look better. Um, you know, when they're at that level, you know, Alex Mack, Rodney Hudson, Travis Frederick, Kelsey, those kind of guys, he's in that tier of, of player. So when you get a guy like that on the offensive line, it's essentially another quarterback, um, you know, and it just takes the load off of Kyler, obviously mentally, and it just gets guys in the right positions, you know, consistently. So I think we've seen that. I think that that has elevated the play of the guards um, specifically. I still think that the tackles are, you know, middle of the pack guys in, in, you know, Humphreys, Josh Jones has played a lot out there um, this year. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still not super high on them. I mean, I think they're a middle of the pack kind of line right now, you know, like 16th, 17th in the league, you know, maybe a little higher, a little lower. Uh, I think Kyler helps them more than, you know, they help Kyler, um, especially, especially a tackle. Like I said, you know, if a guy gets the corner quickly, it doesn't really matter against Kyler, you know, I mean, he's, he's going to do that spin out and he's gone. You know, if they get inside too quickly, he'll just bail, or, you know, he'll, he'll buy time. So, you know, th there's a plus and minus of a mobile quarterback. Sometimes he can make guys look worse. Sometimes he can help them um, up front, but I think he definitely does more of the latter. Um, so I think that's a, a big part of kind of their success as the quarterback, but um, you know, the interior specifically, I think is better. And, you know, Justin Pugh's having a good year and um, but yeah, man, Hudson, his impact is, is kind of difficult to, to assess, you know, especially on paper, but man, when you watch the film and you see the a gaps, you know, cleaned up consistently and guys, you know, knowing what to do and the timing is right on combos and things like that. I think a lot of that can be attributed to, to Hudson. Yeah. He's probably the best double. And then you climb guy in the league, the, the, the seamlessness with which they, they go and go together. If that makes sense. I just did a fist action then, which no one can see <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's just, yeah. I mean, he's the best. I and mean, that's the stuff where like, I don't know how, how else you can articulate to someone. It, it's so difficult to show someone without showing someone. It's, it's like Rodney Hudson is the pawn of line play. You know it when you see it. The guy is 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 special, um, and yep. there's not much else to do with that. Humphreys, he's a, he's a he's a funny one because people go all up and down with him. He has everything you would ever want, right? He's got the size, he's got the arms. I mean, he's he's not quite brown, six seven, six eight, whatever he is, um, but he's got the feet. Where are you at with him? Um, I mean, I think he's you know, in the 15 to 20 range of left tackles in the league. Um, you know, and there's times when he, you know, I, I agree with you in terms of just physical traits, athletic ability, his explosiveness, uh, the way he moves, the way he looks when it clicks, it all is, you know, I think reminiscent of a top 10 type of left tackle, but his technique still is very up and down. He'll get beat clean, uh, you know, too much. Um, I think still, now it isn't as bad as it was two, three years ago. So he's, he's improved. And I, I think that, you know, he's kind of a middle of the pack starter now firmly. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm just, you know, I, I ranked the top 15 players at each position entering the year. And I had a hard time putting him in there for left tackle. Um, there's just, 
there's just a lot of guys I would just take over him that I think are more consistent from a fundamental and technique perspective um, that I think he gets bailed out on by the quarterback, you know, quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I, you know, he, he still has the potential to, you know, maybe clean those things up and become a little more consistent. We see, you know, technical and fundamental improvements in guys careers later on. Um, you know, it, that's not uncommon. I don't think so. He, he can still gradually, you know, get a little bit better and better and better. Um, but yeah, as of right now, I just, he's a little too up and down for me, um, you know, technique wise to, to put him on par with kind of like those top 10 guys, um, or even top like eight or nine guys. Mm -hmm. One thing with them that interests me, I wanted to ask you about is the use of motion and how it is relating to line play at the moment. I wrote about this a little, um, last week because it's, it's interesting you mentioned before how teams using motion it's making things easier the ball comes out quicker guys can id stuff fast the quarterback and then you can get rid of the ball quicker that's all helpful one thing that happens in the run game with motion is if the defense resets the front or resets this happened a lot with san francisco as we've been writing about fred warner is a genius um and he realigns the linebackers at the very last second if you motion the snap he's realigning the the linebacker the second level and they try and use it almost like motion, right? Which is they hope that you guys don't communicate and you whiff on what, who you're supposed to hit so that I can roll free to the ball. Um, and Warner, if you go through the Eagles tape, I mean, he is flying free to the ball all the time. Whenever the Eagles motioned at the snap, the guy's free to the ball. Um, they just try and break whatever principle they think you have when you reset. They're trying to counter against it. Um the Cardinals, by comparison, I mean, they are so static, right? They just line up, they go. So where do you come down on how much motion can help these guys? And at what point motion, I guess, particularly in the run game, can almost make things a little scattergun for the O-line? As much as everyone loves it and everyone loves motion, and you're an offensive genius if you guys motion and all that stuff. There does come a point where at times it can be too much or it just makes the job more complicated when the other guys start moving too. Yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. And I think I come down on it where it's circumstantial. You know, it, it really is. I, I think a lot of it has to do with how well prepared guys are. And I think a lot of it has to do with coaching. So I've talked to several starters across the league about it. And I, I think that's kind of their general feeling about it, too. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think it could be a problem. Uh, if you don't know the defense's adjustment to certain motions, it can mess up your pre-snap reads and, you know, turn a backer free, for instance. You know, most defenses have built-in responses to motion, um, you know, and like, I, I think, you know, if generally speaking, it gives linebackers especially a lot to look through and it gives them different keys to focus on. So that I like, I, you know, I appreciate that. They have to honor different sifts and flashes and, um, you know, things that go backside and, you know, but if you don't know their adjustment to emotion, then it can obviously add somebody extra onto the front side or, you know, let somebody go free on the backside and undercut a play. So, you know, it's just this constant back and forth. And it's really comes down to, I think a lot of the time to how well prepared you are. If you know, if you have certain tags in your play calls that correctly identify adjustments that the defense is going to do to your motion, then it's going to work very well for you and 
provide you with, you know, advantageous angles and leverage on run plays. And if not, if the defense or the linebacker like Fred Warner is one step ahead of you, it's just a cat and mouse game, you know, constantly. But um, that's what makes it so fun, too, and so, you know, intriguing. Um, But I know, you know, one guy told me that, you know, based on tags and their play call, they know if they're going to be motioning on the snap that, you know, they need to stay on their double team a little bit longer because we're there, they're expecting a linebacker to uh, quote unquote rock back with the motion. Um, sometimes it makes the box a little cloudy in terms of who should go where. Um, but this player told me that generally he, he likes motion uh, quite a bit. I had another guy tell me that he didn't. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, you know, it comes back to, you know, one of those players was telling me they, they have calls up front. So when they know emotion is going to add someone play side, they'll make a call to say, push it. Um, or if they know he's going to you know, right before the snap, you know, hit backside, they'll go back, back and they'll rock backside on their combos. And this is specifically referencing like outside zone, mm-hmm. inside zone. So like they have these really adept calls that they do where, they are prepared enough to know what the linebackers are going to do. So it works very well for them, you know, and then another time, you know, in another player in a different scheme, he doesn't feel quite the same way. So yeah, it's, it, it, I think coaching can really extract the most value out of it. And I think we see that, you know, from certain teams. And that brings it back to the human element you mentioned right at the top of this, the, particularly if you're going through the draft process, trying to evaluate, trying to find these guys, it's noticeable how many of the first round picks have been hit outside and how many of the league's best young players inside either went undrafted or taken the sixth round. Um, Because because we can watch the tape as two guys outside who've been in scouting rooms and say, yeah, this guy does this well, this guy does that well. Unless you sit down and talk to the guy and you're a heavy motion team, let's say, just for argument's sake, you're Cleveland, until you ask the guy about how he feels about motion and whether you talk to him and you can see that he gets it well then it's a completely different conversation right your, your list of guys you would be interested in are completely different if you get a feel that this guy is not going to be able to handle what we're asking of him and he just doesn't like this he likes it to be sat sat static someone tells him where he's going on every play um before i let you get out of here i gotta ask you about these two guys um because people sure. will be upset if not um the andrew thomas assaults what has happened to Andrew Thomas in New York? I thought this was a bust and people were very upset and, and what a whiff and everyone laughs at Gettleman. Is he good now? Well, I, I think that was just, you know, the typical premature response, you know, to people, you know, evaluating or trying to evaluate line play, you know, based on highlights and stuff like that. You know, he, now granted, you know, I, I pointed out last year as well, he, he was not good last year and, and it made it worse because there was other rookie tackles that were very good. So it just kind of made it, I think it blew it out of proportion a little bit, but you know, he, he struggled last year and this year, I think he's better. I I still, you know, I'm I'm holding, I'm holding out another maybe quarter of the season before, you know, I'm willing to say that he is, you know, fully, you know, an above average starter. Um, I just want to see it a little bit more because I think that week two game, I think it was week two yeah, against Washington. It, it wasn't the best game uh, from him. And, you know, you, you look, Chase Young beat him clean once. Um, Montez Sweat got him as well. He he still was doing some of the oversetting, undersetting, not getting to the correct set point stuff, throwing his hands too early or too late that got him in trouble. Now it didn't result in, you know, something catastrophic happening behind him. Um, I think on both of those specific ones, the ball was gone, but 
you know, when you really watch him in that game, I don't think it was a good game for him. And then he plays the Falcons and, you know, he, he has a good game against maybe the worst defensive line in football. Um, and then the Saints, you know, who are playing rookie Peyton Turner a lot. I, I believe he played that game. That's one game I haven't even uh, studied in depth yet um, from their perspective. So I, I can't go too in depth on their, on them, but I, I do, I am familiar with the Saints defensive line. And uh, right now they're, they're an okay defensive line, um, you know, and, and specifically at right defensive end. Uh, you know, Turner had a really good game a few weeks ago, um, but, you know, not like a, a real threat as a pass rusher. So, you know, I, I just want to see it a little more, bit more, you know, let's watch him against Dallas. You know, he's going to, you know, probably see Parsons and Gregory. Gregory is a force. So is Parsons, you know, then he's going to see the Rams who don't really have anybody too threatening. It's more so their scheme. Um, you know, Carolina, I want to see that one against Brian Burns and Reddick. You know, the Chiefs against Chris Jones, the Raiders against Yannick Ngakwe, and then their bye week. So that's what I'm waiting for with Andrew Thomas is just another few games, you know, to, to see against more competition before I, you know, maybe do a piece on him or something like that, which is something I would love to do. And, you know, I, I, I root for him to do well, and I think he's improved, but um, yeah, I'm just not so sure he's, you know, a, a bona fide above average starter yet. Rashawn Slater might be. With the charges already. Yeah. Was was this man sent from the football gods to just make you happy on Sundays? Is that, <laughs> what what is this what you expected? You said you studied these guys really in depth. I mean, it, it's like perfect. I know that sounds hyperbolic, but like really, like find the floor for me for a rookie. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he he has obviously been very good. Uh, he's very well rounded. Um, his stuff and his his performances in the run game have been almost more impressive than anything to me, especially him getting out in space. You can see the type of athlete that he is and just the body control and balance that he has to track and, and fit on targets at the second and third levels. Like that's franchise left tackle stuff that you love to see. Um, you know, he, he has had some, you know, clean losses and pass protection, but it's like two or three the whole year. Um, but they do kind of play into some of, you know, the, maybe the length a little bit being below average, you know, a guy, uh, who was it? Um, man, I think it was against, well, Dallas, he lost a clean rep against Bradley and a, who dusted him inside with a cross chop. Um, that was just other than that, he, he pretty much handled the a that game. Um, and there was another clean loss. I, I think it was against Kansas city. Uh, so he, he's had a couple clean losses, but I mean, you know, for a rookie four games in outstanding, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm just really drilling down into the nuances there, but um, so there's some things that I think he can clean up um, with what he does with his hands and just being, you know, a little bit more timely in his strikes and things like that. But you're really kind of parsing through the details there. I mean, overall, you know, I don't want to discredit what he's done and all that, you know, he's, he's definitely impressive. I, I definitely had a first round grade on him. Um, you know, I like Sewell more just for the upside, you know, being 20 years old um, and all that kind of stuff. And just, you know, j just more of the traits, I guess, were, were, were impressive to me. But I mean, it wasn't like a dramatic gap there. Um, I had Sewell has like a, you know, so our grading scale, you give a top 10 grade, you can give like a high top 10 grade or a low top 10 grade. I gave him a low top 10 grade. I gave Rashawn Slater 
like a, a mid first round grade. So, you know, pretty close. I mean, I expected him to be an immediate impact starter, um, uh, which he is. And I think he's exceeded it though, because some of the concerns I had haven't shown up as frequently as I may have thought they would. Um, and he's definitely gotten better in the off season as well, since the last time he played football in 2019, um, you know, he's been training with Duke Manyweather, uh, who's really done a lot for him as well, but, um, yeah, man, he's, he, he looks like he's going to be, I, mean, I, I would think that right now he's, it's fair to say he's certainly an above average starter, if not very good. And I think that's kind of what he's going to be is like a very good top eight or nine left tackle for the foreseeable future. And that's, that's what he is. And that, that's kind of what I see. And man, he has miles Garrett this week. So um, we'll find out <laughs> doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> and that's from a guy who we thought we'd spend this year. Does he play inside? Does he play outside? What do we do yeah, with him? Yeah. We have to throw him over to the right. Well, that's a big change. And they, you know, they got storm North on the other side who's struggling a little bit whilst the rest of the line has been uh, really impressive. Going back to the things I about with the Patriots and having, a sinkhole it's like well you would have maybe be concerned the rookie would be that for a little bit and if both of them had gone together this whole season would be different we would not be having all these great discussions about herbert and what a genius staley is we would be having different things because their offensive line will be getting clubbed over the head um and he has not single-handedly they've they've had an unbelievable year across the board but it has completely changed the outlook of that franchise him being good right away um it's yeah. so massive for them Oh yeah, man. I mean, and their, their whole line aside from the right tackle has been playing pretty well. Um, you know, I've wished Brian Belaga would stay healthy, man. Cause if, if Belaga was there healthy, man, that would be maybe the best line in the game right now. You know, I mean, they certainly would have a, a you know, a strong argument for that. Um, still, I think they're a top 10 unit right now. Um, I think I have them what like top eight right now. So and that that's fluid every week, depending on injury and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, aside from the whole, and that's a perfect example right here, you know, tying back into our other conversation about having a hole at right tackle, they probably have the worst right tackle in football. You wouldn't really know it. I mean, you, you mean you would, if you're watching, you know, what, you know, guys are beating him clean consistently, but Herbert's getting the ball out on time or evading it, extending plays and, you know, things like that. So it's not as much of an issue as it is somewhere like somewhere like in new England, but their right tackle spot right now is, is really, really a sinkhole as well. Um, but the ball it's, is it's out not... so fast with Herbert though. It's out so fast. Yeah. They're throwing so yeah. much from heavy looks. They're like, right, let's just commit three guys to I know, that side I love of the it. line and I hope for it. the best. And that's what you're talking about right at the top, right? It's like finding a way to help these guys out. Okay. We thought Slater could be the issue. I mean, they're blocking off motion. They, they jet a guy across and they, they use that guy to cream the guy off the end. That's, that's a, a Sean McVay classic there. Um, they probably thought they were building that stuff in for Slater. Um, and now they're like, you know what? Let's just do that all for the right side. That's just smart. Smart, man. Yeah. Yep, exactly. All right, Brendan Thorne, we did it. The State I of the know. Union is complete. It's been so long. It's been so much fun to catch up. Uh, thank you for doing this. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad we got to do it. And really, I'm I'm thrilled that you're back in the game, man. And we get to to read your work again. And it's just it's awesome to, to see you doing uh, doing work and creating content. 